Yeah, I think there's a comedy bit to be had about, like, if nobody's ever done it, and I'm sure they have about, like, the modern man's greatest fear is your pornography <laughs> ending up on the wrong audio output and, like, blasting <laughs> through your fucking living. Yeah. Oh, like, actually super true. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's a fucking great comedy <laughs> bit because that is like the greatest fear. It's like to be in the house with your fucking wife and kids, and all of a sudden it'll just be like crazy porn. I feel like blasting over your living coming out of your Apple TV with your fucking yeah. yeah. Welcome to Podcast X episode 34. This week we'll be reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hey, uh, I'm here. Sorry for the delay. I had to get a uh, like a wine bottle opener. I opened uh, oh. a bottle of red wine. This is a Law and Order vintage. If you check my Twitter, <laughs> I literally have a bottle that's like engraved in gold. For the new Law and Order show, I don't know how or why I have this because it's an NBC show and there is no, you know, NBC in Canada. Canada, so, yeah, yeah. But I uh, thought, you know, I haven't had a drink in a while. That's not true. I was in Vegas last week. I drank substantially. NBC publicists are listening to this whole thing. <laughs> They're yeah. like, we gotta stop sending this guy shit because like he can't I, even promote our shit. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know how long I've had it either. Um, oh, I think because they brought back the OGs, right? This year yeah. or last year or something. So it's been a couple Yeah, of they had like a team up, a crossover. It's very big for the uh, uh, hopefully award-winning at Comic Book Nation YouTube page. Some of our biggest content is Law & Order trailers, if you can believe nice. it. Nice. We have a weird um, hodgepodge of things going on over there. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny that's definitely pretty top funny. three uh theme song of all time oh yeah for sure bum, 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 bum. yeah um all right well i forgot to say who the hell i am i'm ben kendrick um and our special guest is here mr kofi outlaw yeah 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 that's me <laughs> um i'm here but uh i don't know how much ben is gonna cut of my whole rant in the beginning but uh i'm here after a tragic <laughs> loss in game two, the Sixers got, I mean, just their asses was zooped by the Boston Celtics. So I'm drinking overproof rum and a Cuba Libre, and we're going to do this. We're going to get into everything dirty about Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah, so so this was game two. So they won game one, right? Yeah, oh, game one was amazing. It was a, it was a down-to-the-wire, like, nail-biter, and the Sixers won by, like, four the uh, whole NBA playoffs have been great, actually. Um, I don't always check in the NBA in, in the last 10 years, but like this year has been great. A lot of good teams that can go for it. And uh, yeah, man, but tonight is a tonight was a hard hit. So yeah. let's talk about something else. Um, as I mentioned, we are going to be reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 this week. We are going to go right into spoilers. So. Um, you know, if you haven't seen the movie yet, we're recording on Wednesday night. This will go live Thursday morning, so most people probably won't have seen the movie yet. So just hang on to uh, hang on to this episode. You know, don't be mad at us because it is going to be packed with spoilers, like we like we always do. So um, yeah, hang on to it. Circle back on it. 
And yeah, we can just kind of kick it off. Rob, you were, I think we all saw this thing last week. Um, yeah. Basically on the same night, I think. But you were yeah. at CinemaCon um, when you saw it. And, you know, there was kind of a whole presentation and stuff like that that you were not not exactly actually um so guardians was not actually part of the the disney showcase at cinemacon um however because it was premiere night and the all media screenings were happening nationwide and the embargo for everybody's social reactions were happening that night uh we had a choice like i i didn't want to pay extra and fly to la to go to the premiere and i had somebody already there so what they did is for a bunch of us staying that thursday at cinemacon um they set up a private imax screening for us Yep. Just for industry people. So there, we had like a private little screen for like, you know, 40 of us. So I that's, I kind of saw it during the event. But no, I did see your Flash movie, though, during CinemaCon. So we can talk about that, that sometime. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can Should, check out well, I guess just like you can tease your – yeah, I mean I know you were tweeting about it and stuff. But I mean like one of my most antis- – my most anticipated. Yeah. It sounds kind of like it lived up to the to the hype a little bit there. It's like, good. Crazy I, it, and it, I think I think not only is it good, I think it's going to have a for the three of us to talk about it. It's going to be a wild, wild conversation. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Well, I look forward. I look forward to that. Um, you think Ezra Miller is going to do press for that thing? Ah, uh, no, <laughs> I don't. But everyone's asking poor Michael Shannon about it, so I don't know how they're going to do press. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For witty yeah. wild things are already happening because of that. You might yeah. get killed yeah, just for yeah, seeing yeah. the flash. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard to say that Keaton's not going to want to lead the press tour for that. So they may just not do it. You know what I mean? Just do their yeah. private events and that's it. Just hope they like Just do fan screenings. Just do yeah. the fan screenings. Like go to the public who has no idea who Ezra Miller really is. And yeah. Just play um, the film and let the things play and just go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, the CinemaCon presentation for that, where they premiered it and, and, all the screenings around the world so far, it's been Andy Machete, the, the director and his, and his sister slash producer, uh, Barbara. And I think they're just going to be doing interviews for it. I would imagine because they speak very well to it and, and you know, their work um, is pretty yeah. amazing given all the situation they're in. So is everybody just like, so I'm curious, you know, I'm just curious and then we'll move on. But like when you're saying they speak really well to it, like has, is anybody asking them about the Ezra Miller stuff or the, is that basically like no one is asking that because they're sort of told by the publicists like do not ask about that. Uh, well, it's hard to say because they've been like on stage doing a presentation versus doing a Q and A. But the 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 line from them and James Gunn and Peter Safran, who are the new uh, co leads of DC Studios, is that they are committed to Ezra Miller's, um, you know, uh, health and and return to work, so to speak. And they have no plans to talk about as for the future of the character. Um, they said as much in interviews for guardians, but also when we visited the Warner brothers lot to talk to them about their, you know, the first half of chapter one of their plan. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, understandably people are upset. If this movie <laughs> is good, like, you know, there's, there's reason why people would be critical of <sighs> Warner brothers, so. DC. Still snatching defeat from the jaws <laughs> of victory. <laughs> the uh, yeah, that was a wild. That was a wild day on on Twitter for sure. Um, understandably, but all right. Uh, okay, let's get rolling on Guardians of the Galaxy. So, like I said, this will be a spoiler filled podcast with all of our thoughts about the film, as well as you know where things go from here for some of these characters and behind the scenes of you know certain decisions that were made. So yeah, you know old school spoiler alert here from uh from kofi outlaw spoiler alert 
<laughs> the, uh, all right. So, yeah. So, Rob, it wasn't part of the official presentation, but maybe you can talk about kind of, you know, I would assume that compared to our screenings, which were largely just, you know, a few press in a room because this wasn't being shown to the public yet. Yeah. Your experience was probably as close to, you know, a, a premiere in some ways as anybody that was at that premiere, just because so many of the people were yeah. We're at CinemaCon for it. So you guys were talking about it and there was energy in the room and stuff. So I'm curious what you thought of the movie and then we'll, you know, I'll kick to Kofi and then I'll give my thoughts. Sure. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Man, th- this this franchise really takes the three of us back, right? Like um, I'll never forget yeah. doing the set visit for this and us all working together to cover you know, phase two, which is so weird to say because we're in phase five now. Yeah. Um, phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I'll never forget going to that set visit in the UK um, one year exactly after doing the Thor, the Dark World one, um, and being the only person on set who knew any of the characters. That was weird to me, um, especially yeah. for a Marvel film. Nobody knew that people were still making fun of the talking tree idea, right? Yeah. And, you know, James Gunn was this was his first movie that had more than a three million dollar budget and Chris first time Chris Pratt was leading a franchise, first time Bautista got his breakout. He was crying on set talking about lego toys of him you know what i mean like it was such a wild era looking back 10 years ago um uh and then i did the same thing for guardians 2 did this at visit in in atlanta for that uh nothing for guardians 3 unfortunately due to the pandemic but um that what you could tell from day one into how a whole cast spoke about james gunn even back then before he had proven himself um and how they rallied behind him to get him rehired by Disney, essentially. And how some of these actors were saying, we're not going to do this movie unless they use James Gunn's script, even if he was fired. Uh, to see that family unit come through, I think, speaks volumes to what this trilogy does so well. And it really is maybe the best Marvel through line of characters and family. Um, I think these characters and whatever happens next, like I am most excited to see them do anything. These are the most interesting and dynamic characters Marvel has in the roster. Um, and this movie is surprising what they do with them. Um, so just to speak to the movie specifically, I think it's good, but I have issues with it. It is, however, very polished. You can tell Gunn and the cast are so super comfortable and all the additions and all his friends work on it too. They're so comfortable with these characters in this world. And, and from a technical perspective, and I don't want to do this and compare it to the flash too much, but like from the visuals perspective, it's very clean. Um, like we know James Gunn's style of the cosmic stuff and the weird characters and the worlds and stuff. Um, and it looks pretty great. Even the set pieces. Um, and a lot of them are kind of self-contained um, given what, the film is about but it looks clean it's shot very well it's it's very polished visually compared to what you'll see in some of the extreme cg sequences in the flash and you can see that from the flash trailers too um but the while i love the character part of it i do think the plot is pretty messy and i also think it's pretty goofy and weak sometimes how they bring some of the familiar faces back from from gamora to some of the you know, side tertiary supporting characters like the Ravagers and stuff and how they tie sort of the whole trilogy together. It's, it's a lot of member berries in a way. And, and it's because of that. It's very surprisingly, this whole trilogy for what seemed to be the most creative, creatively free sub franchise in the MCU is very closed off and isolated and self-contained. Um, and you can tell James Gunn and everybody just really don't like how the Avengers films handle these characters or even how Thor Ragnarok handled these characters. But yeah. for the trilogy by itself, it's they don't really blow up and, and go crazy into the, the Marvel cosmic of it all. This whole franchise, 15 years in, 
still hasn't really taken advantage of the Marvel Cosmic yet. And we've seen that with the Marvels, uh, or sorry, Captain Marvel, and maybe the Marvels. We've seen it with the Eternals. They're just not take, doing crazy things in space that much. It really is just about this group of characters and how they kind of go full circle a little bit in this one. Um, and it ends in a very surprising way. I, I won't just say it. Of course, we are spoiler-free, but I want to hear your thoughts about that. But this movie did not end the way I thought it would um, in terms of what characters are still left around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the last thing I'll say is I was you know, going into this knowing it's going to be a rocket origin story and we knowing it's going to explore some darker tones and, and these characters are going to be facing potentially the greatest threat yet. Personally speaking, anyways, uh, you know, this is not a Thanos level villain necessarily. Um, this movie is not family friendly. I almost thought they could have just made a few tweaks and made this rated R. Um, yeah. I do not recommend any kids. See this. Um, it is shocking how dark it is. And I'm not talking about the, this movie having the first F bomb and there being a lot of cursing. Like there are bloodied, shot up animals there are visually dark scenes where the high evolutionary is screaming at these poor animals um the, the the villain minions are like creepy cyborg animals um it is uh what's the word i was using earlier it's mean it is a mean ass movie um but it's like probably the most james gunn of the james gunn style movies uh um for better or worse in this case Pretty much for the better. Um, and the last thing I'll say is this movie's too long. It's two and a half hours, but there's like a 30 or 40 minute set piece involving Nathan Fillion and some other friendly faces of the James Gunn army. Um, that feels so unnecessary to the film other than having like a fun action bit, but really does nothing to, to drive the story other than to force characters together. Um, and there's a couple scenes like that throughout the film. I think it's, it's just like, including some of the new characters like Adam Warlock and Cosmo. Cosmo being a character who, was not necessary at all. And Adam Warlock being a character who was fun to watch, but largely underserved, I think. Um, so increase your hardcore fans will think of that. But before we delve into like the nitty gritty, I'm very curious uh, what you guys think. So I guess Kofi's next. Yep. I'll kick it over to Kofi. I hope my internet's working. I've, I've heard some drops, but um, I'll try to get this in short and sweet. Um, I spoke a lot about this on the hopefully award-winning comic book nation when I gave my reactions last week, but this is my raw podcast X as I tweeted rated R version of, of this shit. Um, this movie, I, I think what my Rob was too nice to say is, I mean, this is James Gunn's. I don't give a fuck about the Marvel cinematic universe anymore. Movie <laughs> like yeah. through and through. <laughs> And I've said this before, and some people have been like eyebrow raising at me, but there is a lot about this that is so, to me, there's a lot of Last Jedi in this um, from the basic plot premise, which is like, a, instead of like some grand quest, it's just like a lot more of a run, no, no pun intended, but like a run and gun type of pacing to the movie. Um, and yeah, just like what happens in this movie is like, like Rob said, it's very much James Gunn and it's not Disney. It's, it's James Gunn doing some, some things with, and just like kind of almost fucking with Disney a little bit and just like taking cute furry animals. And like you said, doing horrible things to them or making them creepy as fuck. And, and, you know, seeing them die and stuff like that. And it's triggered a lot of people, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention my name, but like one critic who's usually like so positive about everything and 
it, it, let's just say his name rhymes with van and like, he's just so positive about every fucking thing. It's just like, so mad at this movie. And like, I've seen people triggered and then like, because of the animal stuff and it's like, yeah, it, it's nuts. How kind of like crazy and weird and dark it is, but it's also like, has this, this, the lightness of the guardians and the fun and the banter and the wit. But I think, there's just a lot of subtext to this. That's about James Gunn having gone through this experience of being fired and brought back and, you know, having to make this movie knowing that he's not going to fucking do any more of this or touch this franchise probably after this. And he's out the door. He just did what he wanted to do and got the fuck out. I mean, I think there are things that in here that are, are, I think the word mean is going to have a question mark hanging over it a lot. When we look back at this film at some point, but like things like the Adam Warlock thing, I, I think it's at one part it's James Gunn having fun being James Gunn, but also kind of just like it is a little bit mean spirited just to like really fuck with fans in that Ralph Boner kind of way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all the theories, all the people who have been Jones and for Warlock, like this movie kind of just fucks with you about that, like straight up and just kind of, and I don't know if you're, in on the joke or you are the joke if you've ever wanted to see like crazy Adam Warlock you read in those terrible 90s Marvel comics you know so it it, it is kind of a weird movie um, I, I personally put it I think it for me goes one three two in the trilogy um, Brandon Davis who I work with BD I'm sure if you are in this blogosphere thing you know who that is you know, he was kind of talking about, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, I forgot. Sorry. He media, I forgot what of them, so maybe Did he like it? it? Oh, he called it the uh, best Marvel trilogy. Um, and I think that might be true. I think that's very true. Uh, I think Captain America is a close second, but I think Guardians yeah. edges it out as the best trilogy. Um, I'll have that debate. Maybe one day we'll have that debate. That'll be a good one. Uh, yes, I'm gonna steal. I'm gonna steal from the Ringerverse. We need to start doing more Ringerverse things, just like random arguments about shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, like do we like is, which which Marvel trilogy is the best? Um, but um, yeah, it, it's it, it's a weird experience, but I dug it. Um, oh man, I need to have his name pulled up. I can't. I can pronounce it, but I can't like do it from memory yet. I'm getting there. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I know that's real bad. Yeah, I'm failing in my black card. This isn't like for you. This part isn't for you guys. You don't have to worry about this shit, but I got to get this name. I got to get African names. I don't know when that started being a thing, but we got to now. So this is a different world. So, okay, here we go. Here we go. Chuck Woody Awuji is really good in this. Like he takes what could be a silly ass character and like really, if you're really getting honest, like kind of one like arch one note character, but he gives it so much depth and menace and it's scarier. Even that guy's so good at being scarier, even when he smiles than if he's yelling and it's like, and he's so creepy and just his conviction is that weird, like quasi Nazi ish, like kind of fascist thing. You like just, it, it, it just plays perfectly in this movie. And he, really does make you think and to the credit of James Gunn and the technical wizards who made this movie, which James Gunn has shown off in a lot of the like 
social media marketing he does, like with just random CGI scenes of the animals and stuff. But like he makes you think that he's really hurting these little fake CGI animals and you get really upset about it. And they do such a good job, like selling that story and making you really understand that if the higher evolutionary was like a real character, like he would be a fucking monster in that yeah. shit. Like in the robot mask, I mean, he's so boring on a comic page, but he would be, the shit he does is kind of fucking really twisted and yeah, and that all comes across for better. But um, I also think that Marvel for me still has this problem where everything I'm watching still feels like a really big TV episode at best. Like these stories, none of it still feels like it has big cinematic stakes. This one, least of all, because this is truly just the end of the Guardians trilogy and does not give a yeah. fuck about anything else. Like, and so that feeling is still kind of lingering and about like, as an overall Marvel fan, I'm just kind of like, where are we going? And, you know, there is a point where I, I stopped having when I was a kid and Marvel should probably remember this. When I was a kid, there was a point where I stopped just collecting all the Marvel comics just to collect all the Marvel comics. You know what I mean? Yeah. I started bringing out being like, do I really need like this fucking black hat limited series in this, you know, solo <laughs> remember solo. <laughs> do I need yeah. a solo fucking limited yeah. series? Like, no, like, I, I, you know, I'm losing interest. And then once it just begins to avalanche after that. So I think they need to pull this all together pretty quickly because if I see secret invasion, I'm gonna tell you right now, if I see Secret Invasion this year and I see the Marvels and I saw Guardians and none of this shit has any real fucking cosmic stakes, like as Rob was pointing out, I might start to fucking I might start to turn, you know what I mean? So Yeah. I hope they do that. But um as James Gunn's trilogy of films that, you know, you still have to watch Endgame for, but you know, I think it's really good. Now, positives, because we always go negative. All three of us always go negative. So my positives are, as Rob said, I saw this on IMAX as well, and it is a gorgeous film. And I recommend everybody do see it on IMAX because the colors, the imagery, all of it looks so spectacular in IMAX. And uh, it is definitely the most beautiful of the films. And and that's saying something because James Gunn was just starting out in the first one and there's obvious seams in it, but it looks pretty good and holds up pretty well. The second one I thought for any of the flaws it had was gorgeously shot. Like the sequence of rocket fucking up all those mercenaries and stuff like that. Yeah. Like there's some really gorgeous sequences and this one tops all both of them. So there's a lot of beautiful shit in this, in this one to look at. And yeah. And like I said, um, the best villain, one of the best villain performances in the MCU, certainly. And one of the best action sequences, single action sequences in the MCU, easily. Yeah. Um, that hallway sequence, because I love yeah, Avengers Endgame, but like, let's be honest, a lot of that was just, you know, that was just the swell of seeing all those characters on screen, quote yeah. unquote, together, and then getting little chunks and pieces that they could actually film with all of them in little yeah. kind of battle sequences with a lot of random shit happening in the background. There was never yeah. like really a fight action moment that's like really makes you go, Oh shit. Except no, I'm sorry, Captain America. I'm capping right now. I'm capping on cap. Like Captain America versus Thanos was dope as shit. Like that yeah, whole thing. Sure. But, um, but you're right. This one, this one, a very well choreographed scene that was pretty complicated the way they move in the camera. Yeah. Around, right. So, Oh yeah. yeah. 
and like and like just what everybody's doing and you see like everybody and they have like an actual marvel team like fighting in tandem which is pretty fucking and not like just cut to this person doing something and then cut to another person like doing something and then and, like an obvious different take like no it's like one sequence like a long good sequence in set to awesome music and just like yeah so yeah so those are just big highlights um but uh yeah it was weird and i and, I, and i'm not mad at that i think i'll i'll rewatch this one a lot and be like yeah i like it but it's so weird how this one yeah. just like popped off but uh that's me ben i i went on for a while no it's all good yeah i mean there's a lot of uh i think there's a lot of rewatchable kind of moments in this one in a way that maybe I think they're, you know, the second one, I would sort of put my rankings the same as yours. Like, I, I think the first one is just like, was such a breath of fresh air for the MCU. It's because that was kind of at a point where things were starting to get a bit stagnant. Like it was, you know, Thor 2, Iron Man 2. Like there was a lot of kind well, of. Well, let's, and we don't do this enough on this podcast, but let's go back to that time. It wasn't that they were getting stagnant. They had fucking fumbled the ball after the <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Phase two was a fucking mess. That's yeah. when Kevin Feige was getting a little bit nuts. They were picking directors that had too much pluck in them and like too much of their own vision. And they were trying to figure out yeah, how to get people who were more pliable, but skilled and like would still make a good movie. Yeah, and, like, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, and, and they were playing Moneyball with the actors, right? Because this is the Ike oh, yeah. Perlmutter era where they're trying to like force out Robert Downey because his contract was too lucrative, <laughs> and they didn't yeah. want female characters and merchandising and stuff. So yeah. it was a pretty nutty time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was like uh, yeah, that whole side. Yeah, I I said Iron Man two at the time, but this was Iron Man three, which you know same <laughs> makes the same point. But like the yeah, I mean, I, I think like I remember just we were kind of. You know, we had Iron Man 3, then we had Thor, we had Winter Soldier, which was which was really awesome. And I think kind of was the first breath of fresh air we sort of got. And then Guardians. That was the same years. It was the same year as Guardians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are a couple of months apart. That was a hot summer, man. That was 2014. That was one of the better years of my life. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like, but I remember kind of seeing this being like, these are characters I want to see more of. This is a world I want to see more of. Like, I will never forget that shot of like, rocket riding on Groot's shoulder, spinning around in a circle, yelling and shooting and stuff, you know, it's like just such fun, ridiculous pandemonium, especially that prison oh, escape the trailer scene, you know? and, and the yeah, music trailer. Oh, man. Yeah. This like yeah. the whole, this trailer we just like thought would be like a state of Marvel trailer. And then it's just like, ah, <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Feel it. Well, and like the scene you know, of them in the, prison. Yeah, the prison, like, you know, with them, like, and Star-Lord's, like, flipping off the camera and stuff. Like, all that was just so good. John C. Riley, Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but, like, so, I mean, I put the first one for sure. I do think this one goes in the second slot for me. I think it's way more entertaining for me and just all around just kind of a more entertaining movie than the second one was. Like, the second one did this kind of weird, like, you know, father-son story, which which made sense, but from the standpoint of that's sort of what you would need to explore about star Lord next and everything. But in a lot of ways, I just, I don't think that it was almost like too heavy in a way and too kind of like, like juxtaposed against this family that he had created and everything. Like it was trying to do a lot. And I don't know ultimately if it, if it succeeded in some of the things that it was trying to accomplish. Whereas like this one, I think from kind of point A to point B, it does what it's set out to do, which is kind of close this story off, 
And in addition, while it being a rocket origin story may sort of feel like a tangent because the other ones were sort of Star-Lord centric, I think in this case, it's really similar to what you're saying about James Gunn. It's like, that's what James Gunn wanted to do here. And I think he accomplishes that. Like he sets this movie up as there's going to be a story about Rocket and what they're going to do to save him. And and that's that's what this story is going to be about. And even though it feels like, I don't know, it feels almost like the kind of thing you would do as like the third entry when you're going to do a movie for each of them or something. I think it actually kind of successfully like tells us stories about all of the other characters and kind of gives everybody sort of closure in their own storylines. And it kind of gets them to the end point in their efforts to like, they have to face their demons or they're confronted with things that, that challenge each of them in a way where, where we leave them, I feel like sort of makes sense. And we've been on that journey with them. And I've learned more about Drax and Drax is in a place where people have come to appreciate him and what he brings to the table more and, you know, Mantis is kind of on her own thing like that. I, I think I was surprised at how well the rocket story sort of served as like, you know, like a, like a tether into that, that then was able to move through everybody else's stories and kind of move them into a, into a satisfying place. Well, I, I wasn't because I mean, I like, I think there's some great interviews where they point out like with the cast and crew, like James Gunn always kind of knew the general arc of this, like, that's yeah. why he peppered in those scenes in the first one of like rocket with his shirt off and the cybernetics yeah, and sure. his freak out scene in the bar. And like this movie is just paying off all that and like kind of yeah. coming back around because, you know, and that's weirdly because they kind of settle star Lord's story in the Christmas special, which is kind of the underhanded right. yeah, that's true. thing yeah. that the Christmas special does like star Lord finds his family and, you know, kind of reconnects and, and kind of gets past the depression of Gamora, right? Like yeah. they still play into that in this one, but like, you know, you're, you're just kind of like, you can leave star Lord off. There's not a whole lot more to do with that. And the little bit they have to do with that is him just getting over the girl. Right. Yeah. Um, because sure. he had abandonment issues because that was his yeah. whole thing. And so that's a minor story. And he had his moment and he's a forever tarnished. Yeah. Let's be honest. After fucking up the whole Infinity War, he's forever fucking tarnished. So <laughs> didn't it? And Gunn said that like, he was pretty like Gunn sort of said he was against that decision, right? Like he was talking about that in an interview where he was saying like he hated the fact and didn't think that that was like accurate to the character or something. He did say that, yeah, yeah. Like which you know I think probably is a criticism that all of us had over that. But yeah, I mean I, I see what you're saying. Like I mean they've definitely laid these seeds. I didn't feel like it was like a wild turn, but it's like, you know, first two movies were sort of Star Lord centric and then, you know, this one is very rocket centric. Like we do full on, you know, a good quarter of this movie is probably like or at least a fifth of this movie is like actual flashbacks of rockets, you know, backstory. Well, that's the stuff. weird thing about it. That's part of the weird, right? It's like and then we've and I've heard people debate this. It's like, okay, this is a rocket movie and like a rocket story, yeah. but rockets out of it most of the time. Like, yeah. So like, yeah. like a, a yeah. crazy portion of it is just no rocket, and it's just yeah. like, and it's like how you pull that off is is so confusing and weird, but it kind of works in this one. But it is yeah. weird. Yeah. To do that, I mean, we've been to writing school. Like, could you imagine a workshop that? I mean, I guess novelists do love that shit, actually. They probably would fucking yeah. cream, cream over that shit. shit. Yeah. Be like, yes, it's a story about him, but he's never in it. It's really Citizen Kane. And you're like, yeah. oh, shit. 
Um, no, I mean, it's true. It's like if, you know, if Return of the Jedi was like not about Luke Skywalker, but it was about like, I don't know, like Boba Fett or something, you know, it's like, yeah, this is a guy we've laid seeds for. But now we're going to tell you the backstory of this character that or it's like about how Leia kicks ass while Luke's off like fucking learning shit for most of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it's you know, it's not like a bad it's not a bad look. It's just a weird like and not even I don't weird may not be the right word because it works, but it it's just. You know, it's a shift. It like it moves no, the story like weird. onto a different track. Yeah, because sure. it does makes you go. Because there was a lot of times where I just did like I wasn't upset, but I like my face did that thing where like you turn your head, you tilt your head to the side, and you're kind of like your mouth turns up to the sky a little bit. You're like, mm. yeah, like, mm, <laughs> yeah, okay, like, mm, all right, like yeah, um, yeah. The high, yeah. I mean, the high evolutionary stuff, like you're saying, is like. You know, I think it were the way the flashbacks are sort of set up. It also sets the stage for what a fucking psycho that guy is, and like it, it does that really well. I think because you're able to see like the evolution of that character's sort of mania, and you know that just this need that he has to kind of just and willingness that he has to just keep wiping the slate clean and like disposing of all these creations in search of you know become the ultimate creation stuff. So like I. I think it it does serve that purpose also because you see this has been such a significant journey that that character has been on and so much, you know, wasted life has been sort of sacrificed to this insane, you know, plan of his and stuff. So it all worked for me. It just, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like, oh, okay, this is a rocket, you know, story now. But yeah, um, I liked it because it sets up like the counter earth part of it all as well. Um, and ties in obviously the high evolutionary to being by the end of this responsible for half the guardian still on the team. Um, and you know, sort of de facto being involved with the first movie. So it kind of goes full circle, but, um, in terms of screen time though, I'm pretty sure rocket along with maybe nebula probably has the most dialogue in this movie, which is kind of funny when you think about it. But, um, Yeah. yeah, a lot of screen time dedicated to young rocket and like what makes him special. Can we? Can I ask you guys a, a weird question, or maybe it's not even a weird question, but like, what the fuck is with that sequence from the trailer that they showed, and it's in the movie with Nebula, where he's like, "I never noticed how dark your eyes were." Like, I that couldn't. Was weird. I thought they were like for a moment, and I thought this from the trailer. Like, are they going to solve the Gamora problem by having him fall in love with Nebula or something? And then that's it was just a, this weird. That's a joke. It was a joke that she made. It was a joke because right before that. Gamora, he's like talking, he's trying to talk to Gamora and he's saying like, here are all the qualities that I loved about you. And he like runs down this list and she's looking at him and she's like, it's not me. And he, and he looks at Nebula and he goes, sounds more like her because of who Nebula has been, you right. know, become at this point is heroic yeah. and like all this stuff. And that's when Star Lord then gets like all like they have this funny awkward moment. So it's like a comedy bit because then he looks at her and he's like, "Oh!" And that's when he starts saying like, "I've never noticed how black your eyes are before." And he's like, yeah. "She's like, what are you doing?" <laughs> like, yeah, because because she's just like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Because so you think like you just, think he was doing that to kind of like fuck with her? No, no that he, no, he's hitting. He he generally for like he a is moment, hitting on he's her. like yeah, yeah, he's hitting on her like because he's like oh that's that's kind of true. It, it, I mean, it, it's a joke about like you know not to kill a joke <laughs> or like explain it, but it, right, it's right. like if you can't get with a girl you want to be with, like get with her, you know, her sister. You know sister. what I mean? Like, yeah, I guess, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess that's like true, it's like yeah. one of those jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you can't forget who. <laughs> 
<laughs> Quill's father is like, um, I think his superpower is being extremely horny and like, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> it kind of, well, fits. he was also yeah. in, in star Lord was like a player. Remember like the whole Jackson oh, yeah. Pollock thing. Like yeah. if he even goes after, in. uh, James Gunn's wife in this one, it tries to <laughs> yeah. sweet talk her, you know? Yeah. Which, Oh, people yeah. are so mad about that. That was the other thing people were fucking mad about is the amount of James Gunn. There's been like people, Oh my God, people film Twitter is so funny to me, but like, <laughs> first of all, film Twitter is not, you guys aren't a real thing. So, you know, chill the fuck out. Like everybody <laughs> chill. Um, but like yelling about James Gunn, always putting his like, family and friends and shit like yeah and it's like if you're making a movie what else would you want to fucking do like <laughs> it's not something to be yeah. mad about like that's the dream it's that's the fucking dream, dream at this point i mean like yeah if you were that, somebody you know, who were fucking watching entourage with your pants down and like the fucking 2000s like especially chill because that was the yeah. dream right like go to hollywood <laughs> do fun things with your friends yeah, yeah, this got a little toxic when people were like targeting Jennifer Holland for being in this. And I'm like, guys, like, where were these complaints when Rooker and Nathan Fillion and Sean Gunn appear in every single James Gunn project? Of course, his yeah. family and friends. The whole point is like he wants to be comfortable, so he brings people he trusts around him. It's the same for his music and his DP and everything. You know what I mean? So it's absurd. But uh, yeah. I think she's great. She's great in Peacemaker. She's great in this. Yeah, she's yeah, good in this it, for it, sure. And if you want to go and be around set with your husband instead of letting him go run around and fucking (laughs) play with actresses and be away from you and not strain your marriage, I think that's good too. Like that's a fucking fine thing to do. Like the, you know, you did shit on the Nathan Fillion scene though, Rob, you said that was like, and that's a big, like that entire sequence is basically just James Gunn and all his friends, like just being themselves. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I think the whole sequence is weird. It's extremely slow from them getting their colorful, (laughs) whatever space odyssey (laughs) suits and landing on this organic thing. And then going inside and dealing with like the, the most goofy ass characters. And there's a funny gag with Nathan Fillion having like, the dumb member of his team and they're trying to make that joke. It actually is legitimately funny. Um, But that entire set piece is like 30 minutes of like almost nothing. All they're doing is grabbing a MacGuffin and forcing Gamora back on the team Um, and having, Hey, look, the Ravagers, they're still here. They have no real purpose in this franchise. And um, Oh yeah. Michelle Yeoh is not here because she won an Oscar and Oh, she's in Shang-Chi now. (laughs) Whoops. Um, Oh, by the way, they also recast Miley Cyrus. That was Tara Strong voicing the flying head in this one. But um, yeah, Um, just a weird thing for a slow movie. But again, I feel like it's also James Gunn just fucking with us because one of the things that people have always complained about in this series is that Nathan Fillion hasn't had more of like a cameo and all he was was like the voice of the prisoner and people couldn't recognize him. So now they give him like the most absurd, like here's (laughs) Nathan Fillion role. Like, yeah. And everything, and it's just like, we're just going to let him Nathan Fillion. You want to fucking see Nathan Fillion? Here's fucking just 10 straight minutes of Nathan Fillion doing fucking Nathan Fillion shit. Look, he's in a floating fat suit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he's playing himself. Yeah, Uh, and it's just like, and so I feel like there's a lot of this was like fucking with fan service is a big part of this movie in a lot of ways. Like, you know we get the high evolutionary, but not the way we think and like not connected to any of the shit we think. And like, it's pretty fucked up and dark and like Adam Warlock is not at all the big fucking important cosmic player that we all think he is. And we finally get some Nathan (laughs) Fillion in our face.
Let's talk about Zencaster. Rob, what is Zencaster? Oh, that's a great question, Ben. Zencaster, which we use to record Podcast X currently exclusively in audio form, is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides, as you know from listening, high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard in your browser. Being a creator like us has never been easier. Zencaster lets you do everything you need to podcast from recording to publishing all in one place. That all is very exciting, Rob. So Zencaster, if you want to sound your best, Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. A frequent problem that we run into is when we come on to this podcast to record, my levels are usually all messed up. With Zencaster, we're able to adjust loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a single click of the button. Back when we were recording the Screen Man Underground podcast, this was like a seven-step process for us. While Podcast X currently only has two hosts and one rotating chair as a special guest, Zencaster lets you record up to 11 participants. Think of it, all of Ben's girlfriends in one place. Coordinating all of these guests, 11 participants at once, has never been easier. Just one click. I will say, though, as the person who has to edit this podcast and cut everything together, my favorite part and the thing that saves our ass time and time again is that it's a cloud backup system. So while you're recording, it records backups to the cloud as well as locally, which if you know from listening to the podcast, Kofi unplugs his mic. We've had some issues in the past with Zencaster. Not a problem. To try this yourself, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX and you'll get 30% off your first three months with Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. That's Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX. So the, I do want to talk about the Adam Warlock stuff because yes. I did feel like, I mean, you know, whether it was subverting expectations or, or what it was, I did feel like that was just kind of a misfire on all fronts. Like it just isn't, and I'm not like a huge Adam Warlock fan or anything. So I'm not like offended by this because I love that character, but I feel like the setup for that in the previous one with the egg and everything, like, like and then you know you cast an actor like in one portrait that everybody really likes and you just kind of like you put him in he's just sort of this mama's boy that is just sort of flying around crashing through walls and then has like a hero moment at the end where you save start like i don't i don't know it's just it was very like i feel like when you know rob when you were saying this thing's like too long if you remove the adam warlock stuff almost entirely and just replace that with you know, one of the weird abomination creatures or something like that. This is a better movie because you don't have all this stupid. Yeah. Like, uh, I would go the other way. Uh, I'd rather keep Warlock, but drop like the Cosmo and the other stuff. And then like, mm-hmm. I, I just accept that they treat Adam Warlock like a fucking baby, like literally in this film. Um, yeah. And it only because they tie it in nicely to the sovereign and them being these like failed children of the high evolutionary, like another phase, another culture he built that did not work out. Um, the flip side of that, of course, is like they didn't 
address the sovereign. They so they bring back what's her face, and she dies on this planet. And then so where's the rest of them? Do they come back in the future? And it's 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 very lightweight payoffs, um, and it's very jarring how he's introduced. He just appears flying in, um, and we just assume like, oh yeah, they they unleashed him, and he's just he's supermaning it to the guardians and trying to kill them. I guess because he doesn't know any better. And then um, it's it's such a it's a rather weak intro for what was supposed to be this mighty coveted role in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure long-term, like this is a character that theoretically should be around for 10, 15 years and tons of movies. Right. But yeah, for um, sure. A little I mean, too I, late because he's supposed to be – his whole thing is the, the Thanos Infinity Gauntlet saga. And now he has this fucking thing in his head. They have to explain away some other way. And right. uh, like all the other characters in this film who are borderline invincible, they don't – it's unclear what his power set is. He's invincible. He can fly and he fires shit from his arms, I guess. Um, yeah, he's like Superman. I mean I just yeah. sort of assume this is like Superman basically. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, like, I didn't hate it, and I would, I would like to see the character back, but it's just kind of like, oh, you can't backtrack now. You just called it a complete misfire. You got to stand. Well, yeah, it was a complete misfire. It was a complete misfire. I'm going the uh, Rob's kind of in the middle. I'm going to go like the other way. I kind of loved it. I thought it was hilarious. Um, fuck Adam Warlock. Like Adam Warlock's one of the <laughs> fucking silliest fucking '90s Marvel bullshit things. And I grew up on '90s Marvel comics. I'll always have a special place for my heart. But every time I have my comic box is sitting right behind me, right here. Every time I start reading some of this shit again, I'm like, my god, shit was so silly in the '90s. Everybody didn't yeah. know what the future was going to be, and they just were throwing shit at the wall like but yeah adam warlock is a silly ass character with a silly ass haircut and like we're not it was back then but so was like rocket in the 80s right and so was like the original quill or yeah, original star lord i should say but, but, but think of the 2000 stuff or which is what these movies are inspired by the dan abbott andy lanning annihilation Annihilation conquest that quasar where they brought it back and introduced fi the who we can talk about soon as well um and set up the new guardians the with Drax and Groot and everything that um, Warlock was cool, uh, and they also turned him uh. into well, the whole Magus of it all becomes a supervillain of as well, as well. So, which I'm sure they will do some version of in the future. Um, but sh- do you guys want to oh, talk about the oh, sweet, scene? sweet nerd? Um, Magus, yeah, people- the Magus stuff is kind of that was in the video game too, right? Didn't they do that in the Guardians video game? I haven't played Ew. it. I don't know. Yeah, it was. I mean, that goes back to the '90s as well. But um, like, what was I gonna say? Uh, man, I'm really losing these thoughts here. But um, oh, Annihilation, as beloved as it is within Marvel, is like still such a not well known storyline as a mainstream storyline, and it's never coming to the MCU. Like all those, the, the conquest of it all might. Um, but but you're, you're right because Annihila, unless they do the full on Annihila stuff and tie it into Nova and all this stuff that doesn't exist yet in the MCU. But yeah, but nobody yeah. has done any. Well, first we need to establish like some serious Marvel cosmic, which we have like none of. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not. Exactly I mean, it. that's it's. I mean, you're talking about like a very serious storyline of like Universal Jedi, like just. Attack on Titan shit, like without any kind of serious foundation for that in the Marvel Cosmic. So I don't know, man. That shit's a mess. I'm, That's the problem. I'm, I'm actually shocked they did the time travel stuff and then and then now the interdimensional stuff, multiverse and the quantum mania stuff before we got to like the basic, more <laughs> grounded cosmic wars. Um, 
now that they have the Fox rights, they can do all of this, right? From from Galactus to the Inhumans to the Annihilus and that part of it all. But uh, yeah, they kind of go working backwards here. Even with the Guardians, the Thanos is backwards. The Guardians are backward. Uh, so I, I I don't know, and I, I, it's hard to say. The way this movie ends, I have no fucking clue what's next. So, but I, um, I say all that to say, I'm just happy to see Adam Warlock be used for something, and he was funny. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think his British accent Poulter. too. Yeah, <laughs> Will Poulter did a good job with it. Yeah, he was good for sure. I, I mean, he knew the movie he was in and the role he was playing for sure. I just, you know, like I said, I I was. I mean, you know, we we can talk about the post credit scenes too here in a bit, but like, I was kind of surprised that like the post credit scene that involves him wasn't more about like him becoming a major, you know, kind of player as a sort of like this like goofy kind of conclusion to Rocket and Groot story. But like, um, I'm genuinely surprised that neither of you played that video game. It's legitimately great. That Guardians of the Galaxy game is. Oh, I believe like legitimately very very fun and like it completely captures like those characters and you know like there's like there's a i remember i think it was in the demo and you know it's it's part of the game there's so many things that were in those demos where i was like oh this is a video game demo but like their way there's like narrative storytelling in that game it feels like almost like an uncharted game or something like it's so beautiful and so like you know, narrative driven and so fun. And the way the characters interact is very like very guardians. Like Drax throws rocket across a chasm. And it's like a choice that Peter gets to make like in the game. And you like, you know, you choose, do you throw the raccoon across the chasm or do you not? And then rocket like bitches about that for like the next like 15 minutes throughout the level. If that's the choice you made and stuff. And it's just, it's very, very guardians ish. Like I would totally recommend people play that game if, if they want to, you know, be in some guardians world. Cause it's, it's quite good. I think, um, if you want to get all up in the guardians of the thing. galaxy and all yeah. up inside them, Ben Kendrick says, all, play the game all up inside <laughs> them. Um, but, uh, let's see. I mean, what else do, well, look, to delete into the mid credits of it all. Um, I, I got some serious Thor love and thunder vibes when the, the high evolutionary ship became less about rocket saving animals and became like, Oh yeah, there's a whole species of children. We got to save the kids just yeah. like Thor four. We got to save the kids. And um, oh, in this yeah. case, they are, I guess like, you know, obviously they're genetically engineered superhumans of sorts, these kids, because randomly in the mid credit scene, one of them fucking is part of the is guardians, the guardians and they refer to her as Phyla, which is a reference to Phyla Vell, one of the quasars slash Captain Marvels in Marvel comics, another annihilation conquest reference, which makes no goddamn sense. And it's just like, man, Thor four ended with Chris Hemsworth daughter as a random original character, superhero. And this character, they just, again, another random original movie superhero girl. It's like, are we so desperate for young characters that we can't pull from the comics anymore? We just got to make MCU child labor laws are looking real shady all of a sudden. Man, um, so weird. Also, like, I, I, I feel like half of this shit's going to be Iron Man 3 where we get another Avengers movie and none of this is ever mentioned again, right? Like, yeah. Iron Man walked away at the end of Iron Man 3. He's like, I don't need armor suits. I'm fucking perfectly fine without them. And next we see he's like fucking kicking the shit out of Baron Zemo and shit in an armored suit. And we're like, what? But um, yeah, yeah it, it is weird doing like these random like young characters that they're just kind of like throwing in here and not with like that much fanfare or development. They're just like in shots. 
doing superhero shit at the end and you're like wait what the fuck her just being there in the mid-credits scene i was like who the fuck is that it's just the one who like liked drax the most it's so random um the 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 only part that i kind of like is like they're for drax is probably the most underserved character in the group obviously they never let him his whole thing is like he's the destroyer he's his whole after he dies as a human his whole purpose is vengeance against thanos in the movies they made it ronin in the first movie and then Thanos, but he had nothing to do with Thanos in, in the Avengers yeah. three and four. So they kind of failed that and they never really developed that, but they give him a moment as a father figure to these children, as the one guy who can sympathize and empathize and communicate with them, which is nice. And this girl, if they call her Phyla is a reference to again, Phyla Bell, who if again, to refer to those comics, I keep mentioning is a lover of Moondragon, who is Drax's daughter, who comes back. So mm-hmm. I, I, this is kind of like their half-ass way of like, oh, Drax is a father figure to this girl now, but we're not going to show you that. She's gonna, just going to be part of this Guardians combat team while Drax is on nowhere taking care of the children. Yeah. I guess it's just it's very sloppy. I thought um, for a movie that didn't that ultimately ended with no real stakes for the main characters. Everybody survived, which is yeah. shocking to me, right? Um, yeah, especially after the Yondu sacrifice. I guess, you know, we lost Gamora in in Infinity War and stuff, so maybe that's sort part of, of why they felt like. But it yeah. it did seem, I don't know. I had that similar feeling where this is an entire movie. Once I realized the movie was about saving Rocket, I was like, okay, well, they're, obviously they can't kill Rocket now. So all the theories about people being like, oh, well, Rocket's going to die, like go out the window. But I don't know. There was part of me that kind of wanted to see like Star-Lord sacrifice for his family or something at the end, you know, cause like, where does that character go? I, so maybe I'm an asshole now, but like the post credit scene with star Lord, where it's like the legendary star Lord will return. Like what the fuck was that? Are they going to do? So, yeah. There's uh, well, finish your thought. And I have some thoughts too. Well, so like, I didn't know like the way they set that up, it was almost going to be like a fucking WandaVision thing where he's going to be like on earth or something like, that. so I mean, like had Disney plus not like fucking take, two thirds of their 2023 slate and like, forget about it or push it in the trash, push it to next year and cut a budget. And given like the reception to most of those shows, uh, two years ago, it would have said hundred percent Disney plus series, but it's, you know, everyone's going to say legendary stellar movie. Unlikely. They're probably gonna do some version of a guardians with a new creator behind it after James Gunn leaves. Um, But they're just, I I think they're ultimately saying two things. One, these characters are some of them or all of them are going to be back for Avengers five and six. Obviously that's why they're all live. Um, But <laughs> is that Kofi snoring? Um, I, I think if they bring Nova in no, for real, I'm still awake. I'm still awake. It, if they bring Nova in, which I've been waiting 10 years for, um, Star Lord can be the mentor towards Nova, which happens yeah. again in Annihilation Conquest or Annihilation, um, which is cool because it gives him an evolution, right? He's not the goofy, horny kid anymore. He's the veteran who can offer some advice from all these battles to a younger right. kid who's thrown into this with the ultimate connection that Star-Lord is, is a fan of John C. Riley's character and, and the Nova Corps from, right. from that planet that never got seen again, but apparently got annihilated by Thanos to get the Power Stone, right? Um, right. So I think if they do a Nova series for Disney+, Plus, Star-Lord can appear in that. And then the actual title, the wording, the legendary Star Lord refers to the Star Lord solo comic series, um, right. which came out after the movies came out. But yeah, I mean, it just it's it's cool to see that they are bringing him back. Um, that confirmation yeah. this early, you know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, you know, like, do I want to see more of these characters? Absolutely. So I mean, I'm cool with it. The thing it was just like it was such a 
I don't know. I mean, just like you're saying, Kobe's saying subverting expectations. I mean, your final post credit scene, you cut back to Star Lord, and all he's doing is fucking talking about mowing the grass. Yeah, and then you say he's going to return. Like, in a way, that's funny, and in a way, it's smart. But in another way, it's kind of like, I don't know. You know, post credit scenes in these movies, like you want to, they sort of like tease you of something exciting that's going to happen. And here. I, what you're yeah. seeing is not exciting. It's just them telling you that, that he's coming back. That's exciting, I guess. But yeah, he's he's gonna suit up, get his blasters, and go at it again. I'm sure yeah. that's what they're saying because you know he's the le- he, I'm sure he refers to himself <laughs> as the legendary Star Lord. Right. But you yeah. know, I'll give Pratt, you know Chris Pratt. You know he, he's kind of like sideline a little bit, even though he's still the lead. Um, but I think you know Quill. Sorry, not Quill. I mean uh, Chris Pratt as Quill. Pretty fucking great performance. Like he does a lot of yeah. lifting in this film in every kind of scene. He's like a a great on screen presence as this character. All the characters are, are amazing, and, and seeing the evolution of him, but certainly like Nebula and characters like that. Yeah. And by the way, one thing no one's talking about, we all forget, but because of like the fucking snap in that five year gap, only Nebula and Rocket were alive for that. So those two like have a special bond, which they kind of don't push hard enough in this, but that's why Nebula feels the extra weight and is mega angry and cares the most about Rocket in this film. Right. And she really steps up as the leader, you know, in a way. But yeah. um, I do like the way it ends with Rocket being the leader because again, in the comics, like Rocket splinters off and forms a team and is a leader with Quill, which is nice. Yeah. So so I'm kind of glad to see him alive. But I, I'm with you. I'm I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked they didn't kill off. Batista's character, given that I thought he and Zoe Saldana wanted out from this yeah. franchise, but at least it's so open that all of them can make return appearances and probably all will. Um, yeah, that's it. I, I will say I was actually pleasantly surprised with the way the Gamora stuff ended up being handled for the most part. Like I, I was worried at the beginning of this film, like what are they going to yeah, do? Yeah, I wanted with this? to touch on that because yeah. that's another a case again of like James Gunn doing something kind of, I feel like is a meta fucking slight middle finger because Zoe Saldana did not want to come back this many times. And like, she probably did not want to come back and do this one, but she did it because it was James Gunn. And so like her whole arc in this movie is just trying to say, fuck off to the guardians. (laughs) That's like what she does. (laughs) Yeah. And then goes off her own way. And like, that's it. And I feel like that was like one of the most kind of like clearly meta kind of, performances and the way they like chose to structure that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought by the end of it, like it's kind of like they, they walked like the right line, which is, I think like, you know, they don't get together at the end because like, it is fucking weird if he just, if she just like falls in love with him, you know, because these two are inevitable or something like that. But so I liked the idea of kind of like, but I did like the idea that that spark sort of started to exist between them. And like, she could see, why he loved her so much and why he was so, you know, heartbroken that she was gone and why he was like reaching for her in the hopes that she would be able to be that person for him. Like, you know, it was fun sort of watching them towards the end, like her sort of smirking when they were in the middle of things. And they played that pretty smartly, I think in a lot of, in a lot of different cases and their, that final kind of interaction between the two of them where she acknowledges that, like we probably had a lot of fun together is a real, I mean, it sort of comes full circle in probably the most realistic and sincere way they could do that in order to honor the original character. I, I agree. And and looking beside the relationship part of it, I, I like how she kind of ends in like a pre-Guardians 1 state where she's a mercenary badass, but she's starting to see why 
yeah. these guys are a family. And they they kind of go over the top with the big hug at the end. But yeah. before that, in the final battle, where they're all going back in to save everybody, and she's like, what the fuck, guys? Let's get out of here. We're done, right? <laughs> I don't want to yeah. die. And then she like, does that eye roll, and she's like, fine, I'll enter this fight. And it's yeah. she's starting to see why. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. If Zoe said that, I wasn't so public about not wanting to do this role. It'd be kind of a neat refresh for her in future yeah. films. But Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they've definitely set themselves up to where they could do anything with these guys. I mean, you know. Which is weird for a concluding chapter. It seems like this is the end of the James Gunn run and also everybody's here plus new characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something to be said that we all thought there was going to be like murder galore in here that people were going to get saw style knocked off one by one. But that didn't happen. But um, I think this is like the plague of not the plague, but like this, the catch 22 of these Marvel movies in this universe. It's like, yeah, James Gunn and his creative influence and a bunch of actors may leave, but eventually we're going to address it and be like, well, the actors left, but the character stayed. And they're yeah. gonna be like, <laughs> I, my biggest question, if I could sit down with James right now and be like, Hey, look, we know you wrote the script pre being fired fucking five, six years ago or whatever. <laughs> um, did that change? Like, was the initial plan to kill off some of these characters? And I wonder now if, like, the lesser success of Marvel Phase 4 and not having Captain America or Iron Man or all these Tier 1 characters around anymore made them <laughs> rethink that. I'm like, oh, no, we can't kill off any of these Guardians. People yeah. actually like these characters. We may need them in the future to carry <laughs> these things. Um, yeah. Well, no, it's true. I mean, you know, that goes back to that legendary Star-Lord thing, right? It's like – you know, a Nova movie on its own or a Nova TV series on its own is like less appealing from a it, it from is standpoint, if unless you have Star Lord show up or something. Like I agree with that. If you told me like, yeah, they're doing legendary Star Disney Plus series, I'm like, oh shit, really? Because I know the quality is gonna be subpar because most of those shows Again, I keep racking on this in, in podcast acts, but I think most of them are very mediocre, like six out of 10 level. You know what I mean? So yeah. I just, the quality control is not there. But then again, I think all of phase four that can apply to you, right? I think only, only Shang-Chi kind of stood out there and a couple of shows. I like She-Hulk and stuff, you know, but, um, yeah, but not, not great quality stuff. So, um, a lot of people throw around the words or the, or the phrase saying Guardians three is the best movie since end game. I'm like, well, what the fuck else is there? <laughs> like yeah. Eternals, Black Widow. Like there's only one competent film. It's called Shang-Chi. Yeah. So for sure. No, this is, whoa, you know whoa, I mean? whoa, chill. Wakanda forever. And that's yeah. true. I like that. But man, you, you guys were right about that third act fucking nonsense. And I love Namor and I, that, that cast is pretty great, but, but you're right. It's, 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 it's but to me, um, barring the obvious tragedy of it all, it's 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 knowing your Black Panther one, which is like top tier Marvel, right? But maybe um, maybe that's one of the reasons that we like this movie so much too, is because it doesn't have like a dumb big CGI army at the end. It has, I mean, it has those dudes like the whatever the cyborg the pigs, yeah, the nightmare guys. But like, <laughs> there's only like there's only like you know like fifty of them or something, and they get dispatched pretty easily. Like it's uh, you know, it's not like a big giant army. It's like the real thrust of the finale is kind of that hallway scene. Right. And that hallway scene is awesome, even though it's kind of small, I guess them also like just beating the shit out of the high evolutionary and ripping his face off is also. That was know, weird at the end of that because rocket says he's not going to kill him. I'm like, what? Why? He does what the do fucking mean? Batman thing, man. He does the, that's I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you either thing. No, no, no. Yeah. That, 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 that's like fucking Han Solo shot first thing. I mean, I, for sure you put this guy down because now 
we see the high evolutionary ship structure to be destroyed, but they kind of left it open saying he can come back to, you know what they're going to do? Fucking Chuck Woody there is going to come back as Galactus because he's already got the costume and they did it with fucking Modoc. They turned Darren Cross into the flying head dude. He's just, just <laughs> they're just going to turn <laughs> high evolutionary into a giant guy in a purple costume who eats yeah. planets because he already creates and destroys planets. Why doesn't he just fucking eat them? So yeah. there you go. That's what they're going to do in Marvel phase seven or whatever. I'm yeah. sure. That's true, yeah. God damn it. I cursed yeah. myself. I, I definitely thought the reason, like, you know, we didn't see him die is because he's not dead. Even of though course. that ship fucking got atomized, basically. But, like, I did think... But it was weird, though, because that's that's where you kind of, like, that's where the post-credit scene, you know? It's like, that's your post-credit scene, I feel like. It's like that dude crawling... Him flying away, right? Yeah, yeah, him flying away and then, like, encountering some other character or, you know, or some other character coming in and saving him and being like, I believe in your mission, you know, let's go fuck up the universe and like, or something. Oh, I don't know. This like, is getting weird. What's going to happen? Adam Warlock will recruit the Sovereign people as like his army to fight off whatever fucking random CGI villains are in Avengers yeah. 5 and 6. Yeah. <laughs> as one of the armies. But that, I don't know. You know, it wasn't like a deal breaker, but that was one of those weird things where it's just like, it was also weird to me. It was also quite strange that like we go from Rocket talking about kind of Rocket making weird decisions. Like, we go from Rocket basically saving all these like mid- little mini animals and stuff, like all these little innocent creatures, to then the post credit scene where they just like murder a horde of creatures that are like coming after these villagers, which I get, you know, they're like bloodthirsty monsters or something. Yeah, they're cyborgs. They don't count. But, yeah, but they even, he even <laughs> does say, right? Like he, someone says like, do you ever feel bad about doing this? And he's like, yeah. And then he's uh, just like, Let's I go. believe those were ops. So, you know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> they were the ops. Oh, also... The mid credit scene, it looks like they're going to like fucking genocide a species of wild animals. Like, that's what, yo, that's what I was talking yeah, about. That's what sorry. We're talking like, about. That's what, yeah, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I think you're talking about the fucking cyborg dudes in the, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. I was, yeah, that's what I, like, I, you know, at the end of the day, I get it. They're coming for these villagers. The villagers can't protect themselves, but it's just like, <laughs> like, it's oh, such I a see, weird yeah. juxtaposition from them being like, we got to save all these animals. And he's like, well, fuck these animals. Like, dude, the whole <laughs> shit turns into an alien movie ref, like, randomly where that egg bursts. Like, like, yeah. Oh man, it's just yeah. it's there's a lot going on. Yeah, uh, the uh, the different group we didn't talk about the different group forms. Those were pretty fucking fun though. Like him busting out like all the different arms, and he stashed all the guns, and then he's got wings, and then yeah, the like that was tight. kaiju Groot was cool, and like, that guy group hacking yeah. heat was great. Yeah. Oh yeah, Jeez. when they told him to go full kaiju, yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Can you guys explain to me why he says "I love you"? Though is that because so I had a weird I had a weird theory about this, like. Is it because he's actually saying that or is it because it's kind of implied that like we've spent enough time with him now where we understand him? We, we had the same discussion and thought, but it just doesn't fit because they haven't established that that storytelling device. Yeah. Um, that would be strange. Um, but it's also equally strange for him to just like, start speaking full on English, especially yeah. given that in the mid credit scene, he's now literally a fucking giant. So yeah. um, I thought, it, I thought it was a joke that he always knew how to speak and he just has like been, Oh, uh, that's funny. Oh, and they're going to Michael Bay bumblebee yeah. it. You just can't talk again. Yeah. Next movie. <laughs> yeah, I was curious. I liked my I liked my take on it just because it's like Gamora, you know, kind of like learns to speak his language and shit by the end of the movie. And it's like I kind of liked that idea that it's like we're kind of now in the family and we understand him. But I definitely like <laughs> it would be as a storytelling <laughs> device. That's like. 
it's random. A very like loose read of it for sure. But, oh, but that does speak to another plot device, which is the universal translators. It just randomly works and doesn't. That <laughs> <laughs> convenient. Oh, uh, that's true. You know, that's true. Whatever yeah, James decides, you know what I mean. So yeah. whether we understand it or not, again, is up to the s- screenplay. But yeah, um, yeah, Groot's kind of nuts, man, because he he's like, well, I said this earlier, but the Guardians are full on invincible like Groot gets fucking annihilated in this film and he walks around as a head and then he's immediately back to full size yeah I was curious this is after he carries cargo which is also a reference to the thing yep yeah yeah true and he octo wields guns now so he can use full on advanced weaponry that show's so tight it was awesome. I mean, the, the, you should see the sideshow. I'm sure you've seen it. Like the the both the sideshow <laughs> collectible figures. They have the head with the legs. They have the <laughs> eight guns. They there's also Marvel Legends figures and Lego shit on this too. Um, they are milking that Groot cash cow, just yeah. like they do Grogu in Star Wars. Um, yeah, he, he's invincible. Mantis falls in her head and looks like she breaks her neck twice. No problem. Oh, Maybe yeah. like it's Ooh. fully fucking dismantled three times, just reforms within seconds. Drax gets his head bashed in by fucking Warlock. Then he gets shot in the front and back, and he's fully fucking fine for the next battle. Rockets, as we said, is in a coma for two-thirds of the film. Fully fine in the end. Gamora, back from the dead. Uh, and we talked about Groot. Like, nobody can die. They're invincible characters, except maybe Star-Lord, I guess, or Kraglin. But yeah. um, it is wild how powerful these characters are. Yeah, it is. Because they will never, because their power in our minds and hearts has only grown, and they will never die. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, they yeah. now they can't die. They're too powerful in our, as a cash cow, yeah. Oh, even Warlock. Warlock smashes through these buildings, and he gets the fucking nebula sore through the gut. No problem. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm blown up by the <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just yeah. invincible characters. They gotta figure out this power set. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're making fun of a lot of it, but I, there is like you know, this is kind of it's a fun watch doing, I think. for adults. It, yeah, it is like a, it's a great movie. It's fun. I think it's a satisfying conclusion. Like I think most people will, you know, go see this, have a great time, feel like it's a good kind of good end point for it. Also, probably be relieved that you know all their favorite characters aren't fucking dead. So. Um, yeah. If you saw Guardians one when you're ten, I'm glad you're 19 or 20 now and can enjoy this because it's designed for you. <laughs> the movies are growing up with you. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, this is like the Twilight or the Twilight or not Twilight, the, uh, the Harry Potter of fucking Marvel. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, that's funny. All right, anything else you guys want to say about this? Um, I don't think we touched on a lot of it. Is anybody interested in this next phase of Guardians? I, I am. I, I love the idea of some other completely different creator taking over whatever the Guardians team is in the future. But mainly, not just because I love the characters and I want to see what someone else does with them, but I, I do, as we keep talking about, I really, really want to see some cosmic-focused events which encapsulate multiple films, and, and the MCU has not mined that yet, and they really, really should. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hoping to see a Guardians 4 for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. That's it for me. I uh I feel the same way. Like I you know, I'm excited to see more of it. I uh but I kinda I hope they let it rest. I mean they obviously will let it rest for a while because there's a whole bunch of other shit they gotta produce and make, but I think I'll be ready for it when they're ready to do it. I'm curious what filmmaker they find to do this though, because it's so tethered into James Gunn's DNA and the way that he does things, but Christopher Nolan. Uh, Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After he does Dune too. <laughs> yeah, that's it. 
Um, all right. Well, cool. Well, that does it for this week's episode of the podcast. Um, you can follow me at Ben Kendrick. That's B-E-N-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K on Twitter and Spoutable and all the things. Um, I, uh, I work for Static Media. We run Looper and Slash Film and some of your favorite websites. So check out what we're doing over there. Mr. Rob Keys. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter as well at Rob underscore Keys. It's K-E-Y-E-S. You can see the picture of the lovely wine I am consuming. I'm halfway through this bottle. And then um, I am FailCube on Instagram. I don't really stream anymore. What else? Uh, I'm on Scream Ant. We just launched a Snapchat series two weeks ago and launching another one very soon. So if you're into that shit, check it out. Very cool. Kofi Outlaw. I am Kofi Outlaw. You can always find my work over at comicbook.com. You can find me hosting the hopefully award-winning Comic Book Nation podcast, the only show that does it all for geek culture, every week on Friday, right after you listen to Podcast X. And you can follow me. I'm the only Kofi Outlaw. As Jamie Lannister said, there are no men like me. There is only me. So you can find me on all the socials if you want to look me up. Awesome. Uh, All right, guys, that'll do it for this week's podcast. We will be back next week. Mm